0: Welcome back, everyone, to Spawn Camp Podcast. We have had a lovely week, and we are happy for you to return. We hope that your Thanksgiving... Not Thanksgiving. Your Valentine's (laughs) was quite good. And we have some fun things, exciting things to talk about with BlizzCon. If you are unfamiliar with what that is, we will dive into it for you. But before we jump off, introductions are in order. I am your host this week, Tony, over here in London. I am a graphic designer, have a strong passion for that, been doing it for about eight years. We are joined this week by also my friend Angel.
1: Hi, I'm Angel. I am a professional game developer and programmer, and I'm in Orlando, Florida.
0: As well as Trey from uh, Orlando as well, who's joining us again.
2: Hi there. Like Tony said, I'm Trey. I'm in Orlando, and
0: I am a modeling simulation design instructor at a place called Orange Technical College out here in Florida. And special guest joining us again, who I'm very happy to have back if you'd like to introduce yourself, Oak.
3: Hi everyone, Uh, I'm Oak, I'm also based in London, I'm head of community at London Spitfire, and I head up the London Spitfire's official fan association, Hangar 9, as well as doing some other Overwatch lore bits as well. So it's definitely a good
0: episode to have all of you on to talk about some of the exciting things, some of the peculiar things with all things Blizzard, and jumping into that, this past weekend we have had the official intro into BlizzCon. Or blizzcon line which they have deemed it which is kind of the shifting of their normal big extravaganza that they usually have this blowout at the end of the year where they kind mm-hmm. of talk about everything that they've been doing everything they plan to do and usually and because it's a place where people can gather together in person they'll have cosplay competitions different community panels and that wasn't able to happen this year so can you tell me a little bit about the normal expectation and then how that might be a little bit different this year for you oak from from Blizzard and, and Blizzcon
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, gosh, BlizzCon is like one of those things you spend like the entire year kind of anticipating because, you know, you're playing through Blizzard's various sort of catalogue of games from like World of Warcraft and Starcraft and Overwatch. And uh, for many of those titles, they're still living titles. So you're always anticipating like new content and BlizzCon is where that content is invariably shared with you, kind of the player base. So you sort of spend the entire year on tenterhooks waiting for like clues of like, is there going to be a new patch? Is there going to be a new expansion? Thank <laughs> Uh, when's it going to be released so it's like the thing everyone looks forward to and it's such a grand spectacle and show like they really put a lot of time and money into this um, from like the physical attendees and everything and they get to experience but also the online offer like you can watch individual segments and you get like free not free things you pay for them but you get like goodies and skins and the other games that are all in the Blizzard family of games so it's this massive great big thing that everyone absolutely looks forward to um, mostly for the free amounts in World of Warcraft and the reskins in Overwatch but uh, also so that you get these updates, you get to kind of know where your games are at and where they're going to be going for the next year until the next but's come.
0: And it's worth mentioning that that it's uh, the 30 year anniversary. They've oh my gosh! Yes, 30 years.
1: Yeah, it's been a while. That's kind of a shame that their 38 year anniversary is the one that had to be kind of different and weird and online.
3: Yeah, I'm sure they were really
1: anticipating that one.
3: It's interesting, though, because BlizzCon last year had all the big announcements. There was, like, Shadowlands for World of Warcraft was the really big thing there, and Overwatch 2 was dropped, and Diablo uh, was dropped then as well. So I think everyone was a little bit sort of like, what have you got to share this year? Because all the new titles were announced last year, so it was worried this could be a bit of a dip in, like, content. But uh, it wasn't,
1: so it's good. They did have some extra months to prepare for it, which is good, because it was, normally, we should explain, it's around, I think, November, like around Thanksgiving, (laughs) actually. (laughs) So that's funny. Perfect. (laughs) Um, And it did get shifted to Valentine's Day.
2: My experience with BlizzCon is actually kind of tied to Angels, because, like, before then, I never played any Blizzard games, and I would just hear about them through osmosis, because Angel was... uh, very into World of Warcraft, so he would tell me all the lore, oh, wow. and I mostly know World of Warcraft's lore exclusively by his oral storytelling of it. And so every year he would like get you know all these like physical goodies because he ordered that kind of ticket, so they give him like a messenger bag and all this cool stuff, and we'd like make an event of it, and
1: that was just like kind of the tradition uh, for us over here. I still have that bag. Nice. Yeah, but BlizzCon. <laughs> Really was a huge, awesome annual thing if you were even remotely into the kind of Blizzard ecosystem, but it's really unique to Blizzard as a company because Mm. other game studios have, you know, huge catalogs and stuff, and they do sometimes do big shows and presentations, especially at something like E3, which is also morphing nowadays, but Blizzard has really committed to this concept of renting out a convention center in Irvine, California and just going all out and they save all of their big announcements not at E3 and you know Julyish as other people do but at their own big event and my biggest memory was probably the announcement of Overwatch which i think was 2016 mm-hmm. that blizzcon to me is forever stamped into my brain because it was such an incredible moment that they were announcing a new franchise like to their base, which everyone knew about StarCraft, Diablo, and World of Warcraft, but for them to introduce Overwatch, I remember, was such a big moment for them, and that passion really came through at the convention. I will never forget uh, Chris Metzen, who has since retired from Blizzard, but at the time, he was, like, the dad figure to me. He was, like, the king of Blizzard to me, and he came up on the stage, and his hands were, like, visibly shaking, because he was, like, about to do this huge announcement, and it was this big moment, so no matter how much they have to announce blizzcon will always have a place in my heart i've i haven't been playing much lately i played a lot of overwatch when it came out and i kind of dip in and out and i started playing because of blizzcon this weekend just a little bit but it'll always have a special place in my heart whether it's a blizzcon line or not
2: also uh metzen has very powerful hand gestures (laughs)
1: yes he's amazing
2: if you ever watch the videos he'll like like double up his fists and pull them
0: in toward his chest like he's reeling in power
1: yeah I miss him
0: well you usually don't miss much if you haven't been playing Overwatch because for me it's kind of a a love hate thing of working up the courage to do it and then feeling just despicable afterwards like why did I believe in myself why did I lie to myself that this would be fun that I could do it Um, I still love it I think that the the ideas behind it and the skins Mm. and the way that they have crafted a really solid foundational experience because yeah kind of the same sort of formula over and over but it's so enjoyable that you Mm. don't mind putting those hours in and enjoying it just like any other sport like chess or basketball or anything that it's a predefined space where you're kind of going through it anytime Mm. you do it it's this changing ever evolving kind of situation and Right now, with Overwatch 2, from what they've shown off, it's a very fluid, kind of changing thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, it looks I mean, Overwatch in general, if on paper, is such an unusual concept, because you've got traditional shooters, and I'll be very honest, I can't manage with shooters. I don't aim very well at moving targets. Stationary ones are a bit better.
0: That's why you're a good Mercy main.
3: That's why I'm a Mercy main, because <laughs> I don't have to really aim at anyone, apart from my teammates. Um... And even then, but with Overwatch, you take the traditional elements of a shooter and you also bring in the uh, class system of a classical RPG with your tanks and your healers and and your DPS. And so it's kind of like the best elements of World of Warcraft's mechanics in terms of the traditional tank DPS uh, support structure, but thrown into a shooter environment with incredible character design, incredible map design, apart from Paris, but no one's perfect um and it it works incredibly well i think that's why it's had such a strong loyal fan base for so long um i think it's why also that fan base was kind of very thirsty for news of overwatch 2 so gladly we got some stuff
1: one thing that's interesting is a lot of people only watched the opening ceremony so for those that don't know every blizzcon yeah. is kicked off by an opening ceremony which is typically live in front of a giant audience But in the past, the opening ceremony was the one part of BlizzCon that was free. So everyone could tune in on Twitch, YouTube, whatever, live, watch this, like, hour-ish opening ceremony, and then after that, it would be gated to only people who have either a virtual ticket, so they can watch streams of live panels, or people that were at the convention. And typically, all of the big announcements, like, if they were to announce a brand new game, it would be during the opening ceremony. In this case... I saw online some people complaining, because technically Overwatch 2 and Overwatch in general wasn't mentioned very much in the opening ceremony, and they instead had people route to an Overwatch-specific channel afterwards, Mm -hmm. and they almost had two BlizzCons. Like, they had the opening ceremony, which sort of omitted Overwatch, then they had, like, an Overwatch deep dive, which was fantastic, and I'd like to talk about separately, and then they continued with other panels for uh, like Diablo and World of Warcraft on, I, I guess, the main channel. I don't know. I I thought that was an interesting kind of mm. deviation from what they usually do. But for those that were hoping for Overwatch news and didn't get it, it actually was somewhere else afterward. And they yeah. gave plenty.
3: It was great. It was a
1: good amount of news.
3: That setup is interesting as well, though, because like at BlizzCon, it's. Uh, you know the studio's focus for the upcoming year based on what makes it into the opening ceremony. You know, how many years did Diablo never get mentioned in the opening ceremony? But it was on, you know, in the background being developed. Uh, and I think Overwatch is is in that position as well, whereby the big drop was last year. It was Overwatch 2 going to be coming out but we don't have a new cinematic for you. We don't have, like, all these other bits. We have lots of progress and things to share, but there's no headlining bits. And so I think that does definitely take a backstage to, you know, is it 9.1 in World of Warcraft? Like, the next Shadowlands opening, uh, the Blizzard arcade thing, Diablo, and all that. So um, I get, yeah, I think a lot of people missed the Overwatch stuff because they didn't see anything in the headlines, which is usually, like, a 10-15 minute, you know, bit. Um, So unless you were on, the Overwatch... YouTube channel specifically, or the link that that Blizzard had done, you weren't there to get those updates.
0: And what updates they were, if you guys want to to dive into some of them. I know for me, the stuff that was really exciting was everyone gets really obsessed with new heroes, with new hmm. modes, with the new changes they've been doing, new skins, redesigning how how all the characters look. I think the one that took a lot of people by surprise as the thing that might be the most exciting part of the new stuff they're developing is how they're changing how the sounds work how the sounds work in environments, how the sounds work for heroes, specifically with the rest of the heroes. It's a lot of really interesting stuff.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was a lot of content, like uh, some new maps were were announced to people. You got some updates, not necessarily on new heroes. We knew that this hero, Sojourn, who's a, a Canadian character, was going to be... Uh, in Overwatch 2, we knew that they are one of the new heroes. We didn't know much details, so we didn't get uh, details of new, new heroes, but we got more details of an existing new hero. I don't know if that made any sense. But, um, yeah, and the sound design as well, that was really exciting. Absolute tons to go through. Honestly, I don't know where to start. The only disappointing thing, I think, was there wasn't a lot of emphasis on PvP. They did uh, confirm for many people that they were giving very serious consideration to 2CP being dropped. Um... What is 2CP? So 2CP is two control points. So like a Volskaya, Hanamura. So you have to capture one point. And once you've captured the first point, a second point unlocks further into the map. And you have to go and then claim that point. Uh, The difficulty with that format is that I was playing a game the other day and it ran to eight games because everyone kept taking the points. And so it's like rounds back and forth until one team just can't capture it. You almost get stuck in purgatory. Um, and it's either over really quick or it doesn't seem to end. There's no middle ground, and it's like the least loved map format, I think, in Overwatch. And Jeff Kaplan has kind of straight up kind of said, might even just be getting rid of it, to be honest. It's kind of more hassle. No one seems to like it. Everyone was like, yeah, they fixed Overwatch. So, you know, it's great. It's done. <laughs> that, that'd be big. That was it. But that was the only PvP stuff.
1: There was some talk about balance changes that I thought could be really really substantial so they mentioned tanks are going to be affected less by movement and they want them in general to be more like brawlers i guess which i thought was really exciting and uh what was it like dps move faster it seems like they're they're trying to as they always are because it's a continuous game they're trying to see if they can push things in one direction or another. I'm curious if the tank thing is because, like, no one wants to play tank. It's basically, they (laughs) always give you a loot box if you try and play tank.
3: Yeah, it's tricky with tank because, like you said, I think, I can't remember the name of the thing. They were, like, these uh, innate abilities every class was going to have. You're right. Tank was anti-knockback. They're, like, a passive ability. Yeah, tank was anti-knockback. DPS was a speed modifier and support was that your own health would regenerate and every mercy player at that point was like your health don't regenerate by themselves over time it was like oh okay right
0: who knew as a baptiste player sometimes
1: it's the most frustrating thing and anna's uh, a few I... different health heroes that you can't oh, heal yeah. yourself i play a lot of anna do you know how many times i've splashed a grenade at my own toes just nade your feet <laughs> it's more than i need my tank <laughs>
0: i'm I'm curious trey because you're not as as into keeping up with overwatch stuff if there's anything that we've been talking about or even anything you saw in the presentation that like really piqued your interest uh for overwatch i actually made reinhardt so like the charge canceling
2: was like it it blew my mind i was like what that was a possibility <laughs> you can just do that now oh man what a world that's big yeah, that was massive.
0: And yeah, the more the more you play Reinhardt, like his his ethos is always, you know, you put up the big shield and you don't move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But the whole point of him is he's, you know, I watch so frequently, I'll be on a team and either I'm one of the other tanks or a healer and I'll watch my Reinhardt just go straight into the enemy backline yeah. over and over again. And I'm like, I can't heal you, I can't protect you. Why are you there? But they're being enabled by the, the innate want from the character where you're like, I could charge. I could charge exactly. right now. <laughs> I could put myself in harm's way. Yeah. And it's exciting, especially if you being a, a main. I'd, I'd love to hear more of your opinion on that. I So many times
2: it's like halfway through that charge. It's like, I'm just regretting this decision, you know? I'm just flying forward and regretting my decision. And I wish I could take it back, but I know I'm dead.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, charge canceling is exciting. The fact you can potentially Tokyo drift with him, or you I have saw more oh, Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Turn those corners. Uh, it's subtle things. It's the you know, these foundations that have been steadfast in this game for five years now. It is a it is a game with a lifespan. And them talking about any of these tweaks that are so simple but can make a massive difference where they're just talking about experimental things they're trying like what if we approached it this way what if we enabled them to do two of this ability rather than just one or cancel this ability i know it can sound really granular or like why is it something that people would be super excited about but if it's uh you know a core concept of the game that's been that way for you know half a decade and they're talking about you know a fundamental shift to it that could be really fun or could Totally break it in some way. That's exciting either way. You know, it's something changing. It's 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 something separating it from the original.
1: Absolutely. You were mentioning Overwatch is like a sport, and that's the perfect example because anytime even the most minute change happens to something like basketball, it is like headlining news globally. If they change so much as like the amount of air pressure in the ball, that's all anyone would talk about for like three weeks straight. So it makes a lot of sense. That's something that's set up as a sport where you're doing the same thing over and over again in a good way. <laughs> Gets like a, a, a slight shake-up. It, it can be pretty uh, disastrous sometimes, but also very exciting.
3: I'm keen to see how all of this will apply to like Overwatch League and Tier 2 as well uh, because you know there are new map formats coming out. There's that one where you've got to push the block back and forth. I don't quite know all the details of it. But I am interested to see how these changes will affect a competitive play at you know a tier well in excess of anything that i ever play at um so i think that'll be really really interesting to see as well coming out and just how that's going to be used by league
0: there's there's two aspects of discussion around this from the the stratosphere around this that i want to discuss one of them i think is a little dicey and the other one i'd love to dive more into but one aspect is people talking about These fundamental changes they're thinking of to the roles and how they work with the less knockback, faster movement and passive healing will make the game, quote unquote, easier. And in my mind, I see the exact opposite is if you have more difficulty killing heroes, if you have more difficulty hunting them down then it's not going to make the game easier or inherently more accessible. I think mm-hmm. that's what they were looking at uh, or commentary has been looking at is that Blizzard is throwing away the skill cap of their game to make it more appealing to new players. And I don't think that's what it is. I think it's that it's more they're trying to define these roles in a more specific way mm-hmm. and also make it so that each team member has a has a role that they're they're diving into, which I want to hear more on your feedback about, but the other comment which I think has a lot of room to grow into is they didn't talk about Overwatch 1 at all and i can very much understand the criticism towards that because with the announcement of Overwatch 2 last year they were like we're basically trying to peter out and finish off everything in Overwatch 1 before 2 so we're releasing our final hero for Overwatch 1 you will be able to expect a lot of new stuff in Overwatch 2 but for now it's kind of just a wait a sit and wait approach and with you know no announcements yet and with the coronavirus in full swing that g- that gap between that announcement of nothing else is coming and Overwatch Two is out keeps to grow, so I'd love to hear you guys' feedback on on that kind of stuff.
3: So with the first thing about the 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 skill of the difficulty, like inherent to Overwatch, I think it's always going to be such a really tricky thing in any game that is simultaneously out there for lots of people to play and then is also being played at a competitive league sort of level, because there are very mechanically gifted players who do incredibly well on certain heroes and the meta for them is an entirely different thing than it is for the other 95 percent of the player base who are hard stuck in gold and just can't get out um and i think it's a constant balancing game because you're also trying to make the gameplay experience uh better for people at a lower level But also, you also have to keep in mind that there are very skilled people who play it competitively. And how do these changes then affect their meta and their dynamics as well? And the two groups, I don't think you can simultaneously please both. I think it's a constant, like, give and take. Like, you're spinning one plate and the other one's going to start to wobble. And you've got to spin the other plate and the other one starts to wobble. And I think these are always going to be two quite separate entities. Just because of that skill deficit between the two groups. It's always going to be very, very tricky. But I do think these changes will give more like, readily defined character to the class system that is in Overwatch. It's a basic class system, but it will make tanks feel more tanky. And I think that will lend itself to less experienced players, getting more of a feel for what that role is. What is it to be a tank? Um, and Overwatch is pushing us in that direction. Like you got, you know, Role Select, for example, came in, and that was really, really popular. And it's encouraging players to specialise within certain roles. I'm trying to encourage more DPS players, maybe to specialize in other roles as well. Because how you see it at League, like people who tank in League only tank. Like it's very rare that someone is taken off their role to play something else. So I think that focused emphasis on know your role and play your role well is really going to be uh, supplemented and amplified by these new sort of systems to embolden the class mechanics. Yeah, that's what I think.
1: I want to talk about the Overwatch one to two stuff because it has been a constant sense or source of confusion to people when they announced Overwatch 2 because they had this really unique thing where Overwatch 1 will become Overwatch 2 in a sense. And that confused a lot of people. So when it comes to like Overwatch 1 being done and they're not announcing stuff, everything they talked about in Overwatch 2, except PvE, which I want to talk about, but everything they announced, so Sojourn coming in, Uh, probably the visual changes uh, to the, like, the new skins, all of the maps and all of these, like, DPS tank changes, all of them will come to Overwatch 1, which is super weird. I I think it's probably the right move. I think it's interesting. But I don't think it's been done before that Mm. I can recall. So there is a huge gap. And the gap isn't so much that, like, once two comes out, then we can all jump ship and one is dead. It's more like normally you get characters every certain period of time and maps every certain period of time but because they're sort of holding it all back like ice cubes in a glass that's about to like collapse onto your face you're sort of waiting for them to tilt the cup and overwatch 2 comes out and then finally all the new heroes and all the new maps and it's going to be some big moment for overwatch 1 as well which is weird i think it's bad timing because you're right, the fact that like during COVID was their development gap where we're not getting new heroes and maps and stuff is super unfortunate. And I hope they, uh, I don't know, hurry it up. Telling Blizzard to hurry it up is weird <laughs> because they <laughs> it take is weird. sweet time on everything.
3: But it is, I think, at the detriment of the community because this interregnum between Overwatch 1 and Echo, I think, being the last DPS and there was like no more maps than Kanazaka because, you know slid into the dms but otherwise it was nothing and now you've potentially got a whole year like no one's anticipating this until 2022 now so you're gonna have a year of no new heroes no new maps balance changes will continue do we live off the workshop for content, like Torbjorn Pyramid? Is that all I've got to live for now, for the next year? <laughs> I saw like,
0: that uh, Overwatch just tweeted there's a workshop mode where someone has put a car in the game and it's a racing simulator. It's not like on <laughs> top of a hero or anything. They made a car it's out of it. like Symmetra turret lines and you can yeah. just race it and drift it around. And it just blows my mind. <laughs> this is the content
3: we need until Overwatch 2 arrives. <laughs> But I think they're going to have to do something I think because the drop off in players I think is quite significant and I think it's also affecting League as well because viewing figures for League, I mean the move over to YouTube was problematic anyway but the numbers have consistently been dropping and it's it mirrors the state of the game if the game is successful and flourishing and doing well and bringing in new players and it has new content it has new maps it has new heroes you want to see how those things get played out in league that's the the relationship between the two if the core game is stale and you know molding at the edges then the viewership and the play uh, the the fan base around league reflects that as well and i think league is starting to suffer from that drop off and i think it needs overwatch to desperately I mean, I as a player need it, but also someone who's invested in League also needs this resurgence of interest in the game.
0: So we've touched about 60 times more on this in our (laughs) opening ceremony than Blizzard did in theirs. Um, And I think that there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out for it and a lot of cool things that we could talk about. But there's also Mm -hmm. a lot of really wonderful things that they chatted about that weren't Overwatch that I'd love to touch on. There's one I'm definitely invested in that I'll get into later because I don't want to wax poetic for too long. Um, I would love to hear more about the Diablo stuff, if you don't mind, Angel, because you seem pretty excited about it.
1: Not at all. I love Diablo. Not as much as a lot of other people. <laughs> Some people live and breathe Diablo. Um, they actually had a guy come on for their like Diablo deep dive panel who was like a famous speedrunner, and the guy's been playing since it came out. And he he said something like, I think I've spent more than 25,000 hours or something playing the game. And I'm like, holy crap. Just Diablo 2, like the 90s one. But I think Diablo is super, super fun. Uh, I love, I guess the term is ARPG, like action RPG, like the top down. Ever since I was a kid, Boulder's Gate and all those kind of games are always right up my alley. You can call and, this
0: hack and slash as well.
1: Yeah, well, I, yeah I guess. Yeah, like a hack and slash top-down isometric view, usually kind of thing. And three Diablo three was kind of rocky. And uh like Oak was saying before, like a lot of these BlizzCons for me, for the past several years, were kind of watching to see if anything Diablo would happen, and then nothing Diablo would happen. Like for years and years. And it was like the most snub thing. I was like, oh, I I guess uh Diablo's being replaced by Overwatch as one of the three, and they can only juggle three balls in the air at a time. Um, Joke's on them, it was StarCraft. (laughs) StarCraft's on the (laughs) ground now. Oops. But uh, Diablo 4 came out and it was incredibly hype, because I think they looked at a lot of the stuff from Diablo 3 in terms of, like, uh, they didn't feel like it was as dark, maybe, or as brooding as 2. And the art style really advances, and it just looks really cool. Like, when I, when I look at Blizzard games overall... Um, this is me explaining the appeal of Diablo 4. When I look at Blizzard games overall, they have a very specific art style. And even though each game does kind of take its own sort of style, you can see a through line from, like, original Warcraft all the way through to Overwatch. And you can see that in Starcraft, and you can see that in Diablo 3... And they definitely have an art style. But when you look at Diablo 1 and 2, which were originally, I want to say Condor, but then Blizzard North, they have a completely different art style. Like, Diablo 1 was almost claymation, and Diablo 2 was, like, the super gritty pixel art. So when I saw Diablo 4, and especially this year looking at some of, like, the in-game stuff, it just looks like a completely new thing. Like, they're really able to stretch their, I don't know, artistic limbs some, and create these like very next-gen AAA like console-looking uh, visuals and cutscenes and stuff in it. So it it seems very cool and it's really dark and it's a really pure RPG where you like play like your sorcerer class or your rogue class and you just beat the shit out of people. So <laughs> it seems very fun and exciting that way and very unique from from a Blizzard catalog point of view. And it was very very starved for many years. So now that it's coming out, and there's still a giant question mark with anything Blizzard about when it actually, you know, when I can buy it, they, (laughs) Blizzard really straddles the line between, like, a a game company and, like, Vaporware. (laughs) Like, I always feel like everything Blizzard's working on is the most, like, imaginary thing in the world. They worked on their famously cancelled RPG Titan for, what, like, five, six years? And we'll never even see what it was about. Anyway. Diablo 4, I'm sure, it comes out 2023 or something. But in the meantime, I love looking at gameplay. I thought it was so cool that they showed gameplay this year. That was my big takeaway. I'll, I'll end on that. The fact that they showed really cool, dark and gritty gameplay from their new character class, the Rogue, and they showed that you can be kind of like a knife rogue or a bow rogue, and like you had those two kind of like directions you could go in. The fact that they showed uh, a really strong class plot line... I think was very important. So the rogue, and I encourage everyone to watch this. It was a really cool gameplay class reveal. And a big part of it was that the rogue was almost like an assassin, like at a confession in a Catholic-esque church setting. And they were placing ears down on the bench. And it was like people they had killed. And the rogue themselves were missing an ear or whatever. And it was a very story-based look at this class character. Whereas in the past, they, they definitely had some story for the classes. But that was a complete afterthought. It was more, you know, you're saving named character Angel Teriel or something. Um, I think it's really exciting that they seem to be dedicated on, like, if you're playing this class, you're going to uncover their story. And it's like a big important part of it. And they showed that really well, showed gameplay really well. They showed how different the art styles really well. I'm very excited. And it was a it was a good BlizzCon for that. I want to say they saved it for last typically when blizzcon goes they sort of ramp up to their bigger stuff during the opening ceremony so it was a nice big uh finale
0: um i had a i had a question for you trey have you ever played any of the uh, the diablo games or did you see the stuff they were offering i i saw the um opening day
2: content for diablo i haven't played a diablo game all i know about diablo is the uh, i saw a postmortem from it like during GDC, they talked about the game and they had all these really weird stories. Like, how originally um, the company behind Diablo didn't pay their taxes. And <laughs> <laughs> they had all these really weird, whimsical anecdotes. Like, they could have gotten um, Hotmail money. Like, the guy who made Hotmail asked them if he could have an office in the corner and they said no. And then he made Hotmail. I, yeah, I think he like, a crap offered of a
1: percentage of something or something like that.
2: Yeah. He's like, I don't have money right now, but I'm going to make like, this thing called Hotmail. It's going to take off,
0: and then you guys can have like a share of it. And they're like, nah. Classic Blizzard. They're just so in their own ways. Um, I, I asked because um, my my first introduction to, to Diablo was Diablo 2, and I, I barely played it. You know, Diablo 2 is, is a game that's deep in the zeitgeist of people's love and, and attention for this property. But they announced that they're kind of reviving and refreshing that version of the game and bringing it to consoles and PC and I was curious if that's something that you'd be you know want to dive into I haven't really considered like the ARPG before but I might now like the content for four actually looks pretty fun Yeah, I mean, especially if they're gonna do two, I know that there's not gonna be a way that they could like carry across stuff from two to four or two to three even. Mm -hmm. But the um, the stuff that they showed off for four and two, I don't know. I'm excited to potentially play Diablo two on a PS five. That sounds like a stupid sentence.
1: (laughs) No, it's but that sounds really cool to me. I I actually forgot to mention it, even though it was huge. There was a lot of Diablo stuff. But yeah, the Diablo two remake one one kind of uh, asterisk next to it is that it's the same team that did the Warcraft 3 remaster, which was famously not good. So, fingers crossed on the Diablo 2 remaster.
3: Do
0: you do you have something to say about that, Oak?
3: I just I don't think it was handled very well, was it? It was uh, a bit of a shit show, really. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that really got me with this is that there was... I mean, Warcraft 3 is, you know, it is an iconic kind of milestone for Blizzard. It's the thing that set off World of Warcraft, right? Um... And the, the I mean, even the engine for Warcraft 3 is what birthed League of Legends. Like, it's such an iconic piece of gaming history. And it got this redesign, and everyone's like, oh, that's really, really cool. And they did something really odd. Where I think, like, I had the, oh, through the Blizzard story, you get, like, the old Warcraft three with all the old graphics and everything i think when you got the upgrade your version was upgraded so you could only play the new version they would no longer let you play the old one with the old graphics and that upset a great many people who were kind of like but i own both i should be able to play both separately so i still think it was handled very well and they have shipped it off to the same team like wholesale that i think that were working on uh that one so We'll see how it goes so the quality was good in the end it took a lot of patching and, and things to get finished and polished for it to get where it was so I hope they slow down and give it the development that it needs for it to be really nice on release and like not a hot mess
1: I agree there was some really cool technology about the Diablo 2 remake that they showed in the deep dive so they had like a developer as part of the panel so I had a lot of uh, I was very interested in the stuff they were talking about because apparently You would be, you dork. I know, I'm such a huge dork. Uh, <laughs> maybe I can convince you this is cool. So Diablo 2, the original, runs at a significantly reduced frame rate. I think it was 25 frames per second, and it's hard locked. So all of the timing in the game is not timed in seconds, it's timed in frames. So how fast you walk or how long it takes to do an ability is in frames... And the game is assumed to always run at 25 frames per second. It's even an important part of its visual look. It also runs entirely on a grid system, which a lot of people don't know because it's hidden from you. So the game actually runs on little teeny tiny 2D tiles. So anytime you click and move around, your character will actually always stop on a tile and enemies are always on tiles as well. The, uh, like Trey was saying, there's a lot of really interesting history behind Diablo, And my favorite part is that it was originally turn-based, and if anyone is really curious about this Diablo Postmortem Trey was talking about, please look it up. It's called, like, Diablo Postmortem GDC, which is the Game Developers Conference. I forgot what year it was, but it was uh, the original creator, one of the original creators, talking about the history of its development and everything. Very neat. But anyway, so Diablo 2 is, the remaster is entirely built on top of that engine, like just as a complete top layer and at any time you can go from the remaster to the 2D version and the remaster runs at 60 frames per second with full 3D animation like there is no sprite art at all, it's fully 3D with lighting and they used a lot of the original references because even though Diablo 2 was 2D they used 3D models to create the sprites in a lot of cases so some of the problems they were talking about seemed super interesting the way the the animations would run at 60 FPS on top, but all of their underlying timings had to hit the 25. And they would walk around with like the analog stick on like Switch and consoles. But you'd like be able to nudge your character, and they'd have to stop on one of the tiles. So just the way they balance those things I thought was fascinating. Maybe they'll do a good job. <laughs> I hope so. I never actually got to play the original Two Diablos because I grew up in a Spanish-speaking household... And if you try to convince your family to buy you a game called The Devil, they probably won't buy it.
0: (laughs) The Devil's gone, we're fine. But what about The Devil 2? He's back and he's more pissed off.
1: It was like, it literally had like the face too and like the flames. It was like the worst thing you could ever buy.
0: (laughs) I've never thought about that. That's incredible. That's probably exactly why they called it that. They're like, so we're going to be selling this to the Western market, and it's mostly Judeo-Christian, and we can't just call the game the devil. <laughs> Angel, tell them tell about the thing.
1: Wait, which thing?
0: Why it's called Diablo.
1: Wait, I forgot. Oh, no, oh, it was in that video. You tell them yeah. about the thing.
2: So, um, I think it was David Brevik. Um
1: he, yeah, he a gave the chi- talk.
2: Yeah, as a child, like he lived next to this really big mountain, and he was like, what's that mountain called? And they're like, it's called you know, Mount Diablo. So he didn't oh. even know it was the devil originally.
0: <laughs> Incredible. He's just like,
1: yeah, I'm just going to name this after this mountain I know.
2: Exactly. And he's like, that's the with sales sounding figures. word. Yeah,
1: <laughs> They're like, hey, no Spanish speaking people buy this game. And he's like, that's <laughs> weird. That's super strange.
0: Obviously he learned, you know, into the development of it, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> the next Mac operating system, you'll have Yosemite and... <laughs> then diablo then, yeah, then Diablo. i don't
1: know if any of you are into hearthstone i'm going to assume no i i want to hear you talk about hearthstone i've i keep playing it on and off but i'm i live through it vicariously through you so tell me okay. about hearthstone.
0: this i'll just i'll just take a little bit this will be my little soapbox i promise you hearthstone's really good <laughs> everyone gets really scared about it because they're like this is just a gotcha game where they're gonna make you buy a lot of cards And traditionally, with trading card games, that's kind of what happens, is if you want to get into it, you either have to know someone who's already into it and can, like, loan you cards or you guys can play together, or you have to, you know, spend a lot of money up front to kind of have the necessary resources to be able to play it. And one of the huge changes that they're bringing, which I think is very exciting, is they're introducing something called the Core Set, which is 235 cards that are this sampling from Really weak to really strong through all different rarities that they're just going to give you when you get the game. So, everyone who plays Hearthstone will have access to this core set. So, they're basically providing you the fundamental resources to be able to play right off the bat for free. I'm not trying to be an an advocate for them or something, I just think this is a great aspect of the game where, obviously, any other trading card game you might have something called a starter pack, which you'd have to buy but to be able to have access to a mobile marketplace and you can get Hearthstone, download it for free, and they're like, cool, thank you for coming to play. Here's the core set. And you can just take that, build a deck with it, play with it, and not have to really exchange anything there. A majority of what they offer for pay is cosmetics. And even then, with a lot of the ways they've been reworking the... um, upgrade systems the questing systems so your daily and weekly quests to kind of bring you back coming back to play things you earn coins through that in the game and they've been really tweaking how much that earns you over an amount of time and i bought the battle pass kind of thing which was like 10 12 pounds at the beginning of this expansion and since then i've earned enough to get about 50, 60 packs for the next expansion, which is basically all you need with in game currency. So, just through me playing, I've earned enough in game currency to buy the next expansion.
1: That's awesome.
0: You can play the game that way, where they try as best as they can, where it feels like from their messaging, they try as best as they can to make the free to pay, free to play experience fun enough and enjoyable enough that you can dive into it. Now, of course, the meta shaping decks and the cards that really sweep and adjust how you actually get to the higher ranks are going to be these decks that are full of really rare cards, full of cards that you know, you'll know you probably have to dive further into the game to actually get a hold of. And that's where some of the aspects they brought about and patches that they've done in the past, like being able to borrow decks, can be kind of fun. If I'm a person that plays the game a lot and has either bought packs or bought into it a little bit, even a modicum of an amount... I'll potentially have a lot of these rare cards and I'll be able to build those meta decks and can get to higher ranking levels. But if I have a friend who hasn't, we just invite each other on Hearthstone and you can look at my collection like you would in a physical sense and you can just borrow that deck and we'll play against each other. It's a great way to introduce you to the game and it's a great way to take something that you know I've put time into and being able to share it with someone else. So it doesn't just affect me. Obviously, there's no physical marketplace where I can be like, hi, I have this rare card. I'd like to sell it for real money. That is an advantage to physical card games. I think it kind of makes it into a currency on its own, which can be problematic. All of the conversation around whenever there's a big sale of a Magic the Gathering card and everyone's like, this thing's worth how much? You're like, it is just a piece of paper, just like a dollar bill is a piece of paper. It's whatever value we put on it. It's not really worth this much. It's just what people want to pay, I promise. It's not like I can take a Black Lotus and insert it into an ATM... <laughs> it's, it's for just now. you know, for now <laughs> do you know what this this is a black card <laughs> um, but yes that's that's kind of the the overview of you know me trying to be like hearthstone's fun it's not this thing that's trying to steal your soul and suck your money dry the things that they're going about adding to it and expanding that experience one of which i'm really excited about is a system that exists in the game currently is you have something called tribes it's very common with a lot of different card games is that you'll have cards that have no affinity where it's just like this is just a dude and you put him down or it's like this is a dude that's also a pirate so his tribe is pirate and that's his affinity and you'll have cards that kind of buff those in different ways and they have various it's also called like a minion type they have various minion types in hearthstone they're making a change to their existing spell system, because you have minions, you have spells, they interact in various ways, where the spells are going to have tribes or affinities, and they're going to come oh. from various spell schools. So they're, they're changing kind of fundamentally how a lot of the classes work in Hearthstone. So where, you know, they've had spells traditionally, they've experimented a little bit in the past with the Skullamance Academy expansion where they had dual class spells, which is something that's very common in Magic the Gathering. You'll have something that's red and black, or red and black and green, or you can get crazy and have ones that are every type of mana, and that's probably a very difficult deck to use because you can't have any kind of focused intent, but the dual class stuff was fun, and with bringing in spell schools, it'll make it so that those class identities are even more well-defined, just like what we were talking about with tank and DPS and healing and Overwatch, you'll be more able to feel... You know, if I'm playing a shaman class deck in Hearthstone, what defines shaman? Is it spell damage? Is it connection to nature? These are the things that they're trying to define and they're trying to bring into that, that narrative. And to see them experimenting even a little bit with that and the little bit that they've devin into that is wonderful to see. It's new. It's fresh. It's taking the same basic stuff that they have, redefining it, putting new modifiers on it so that it's a richer, deeper experience so they don't have to add a bunch of stuff on top. They can take what works flesh it out make it more of a you know a deep dive experience and hopefully through all that maybe the game's more fun i I want
1: to just have more fun with it and bring more people to it hearthstone's fun guys i promise (laughs) it's a huge part of blizzard too i want to say at least for one year but maybe currently it still is like their number one like uh profit machine i think they make their most money off of hearthstone so I have
0: some stats I can share with you. Not not money stuff, but like uh, active players. So they, they released a thing for this past year. So they, they measure their years by three expansions. Um, and this past year is called the Year of the Phoenix. The new year coming up is the Year of the Griffin. None of these are real. Um, what? And in this past Year of the Phoenix, they had 12 major patches, 13 balance updates. But the total number of players worldwide was 23,539,000. That's, and that's a lot of players.
1: Is that monthly active users or, like, people with Active accounts?
0: players in 2020.
3: Holy shit. it's a lot. Yeah.
0: Um, they introduced does, a new I, mode called Battlegrounds. It had 669 million hours played. Oh, my God.
1: How does that stack up to their other IPs? Like, I'm curious I'm how many sure. people are playing Overwatch these days or World of Warcraft. I'm actually always blown away by World of Warcraft, like, mm. not to be pessimistic, but like, staying alive so I played it way back in like the third in like Wrath of the Lich King or whatever and
3: yeah, peak peak, of, uh, peak World of Warcraft oh, yeah. the Lich King.
1: no question uh, when vanilla gets there I guess they'll revitalize it again uh, maybe I'll finally jump back <laughs> in but uh, just watching it over the years I just see it just go on and on and on and then I heard yeah. uh, I heard some figures that like Shadowlands was like their biggest release and like a ton of people are playing it I'm like or g- gonna get it or whatever it was and uh it's incredible <laughs> like that's still mm. running on like a 2004 engine for the most part I mean they've they've tweaked a lot to be fair but wow
3: yeah they had to squish all the levels as well because it always said that you know uh... Many many moons back, the idea was that the game would end like level a hundred. Like that's the longevity of the title. People just kept paying their subs, and they're like, "Well, we're not going to cap it at hundred because that's silly. <laughs> this, is, this brings in money. This is good. So uh, they had to squish all the levels. So now the cap is like sixty. It had been hundred and twenty. So they literally just halved all the levels. So <laughs> I didn't know that. You know, they just yeah, they they've squished all the levels. So now the maximum is sixty. Uh, all your health had to be reduced all the items had to be retweaked and reworked and i think it is just to give it another 15 years worth of content i think 120 oh. will be oh, the next it's gonna goal. go forever do you know what it i won't find? not end
1: <laughs> <laughs> it won't one thing i find interesting is how hearthstone originally was the like the i mean it still is the universe from world of warcraft but yeah. watching it sort of diverge a bit like it has its own art style now and it mm-hmm, almost has yeah. its own like in lore I find it really fascinating.
3: Has his own books as well. Like, they've really done a really good job with Hearthstone and promoting, like, its own sense of lore. Like, they've done some kids' books based on the events that happened within the Hearthstone adventures. I had no idea. And even, like, they did that really cute cinematic a few when Legion, like, maybe two years ago. It was, like, this big family-friendly, like, come into the tavern, play this game. It was, like, crazy cute. So I think they know who they're going after, which isn't you know the people doing mythic plus plus in you know world of warcraft it's uh this is great they've done so well with it N- not the to be cynical the fact
0: references Oh, <laughs> Sorry. i was i was just going to say the the fact that it references world of warcraft stuff gives me some kind of into the world of warcraft universe and sometimes you guys will bring up characters and i'm like i know who that is and then i'll have this very reductive understanding because it's just <laughs> a card um yeah. what were you going to be cynical about but
1: <laughs> i was i was going to say there are It's great that they're targeting kids, but also it's easier to spend a credit card if it's not yours.
3: (laughs) Oh, I mean, that's the story of my life.
1: (laughs) In general,
2: for like 2020, I feel like we should add in just a little bit of bias because um, for 2020 in general, there's been like a massive increase in spending. Um, Like for digital games in particular, it was like 120 something billion dollars was spent just on digital games. And like the vast majority of that was from free to play games.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: it's a uh, good industry to be in almost oh, definitely yeah <laughs> I, I, I know
0: when the Overwatch released there was this really toxic term that I kept hearing which was pay to play or, or buy to play and I was oh, like yeah. that's what games should be you should buy a game and then play it the the advent of free to play is as inclusive as it is toxic and cancerous and it has to be handled delicately or it's a massive problem
3: that was the same thing with Cyberpunk, wasn't it? Oh, no. What's that game? It was a massive flop. Was it Cyberpunk 66? I don't even know what the name was. But people who got the returns on the game were complaining it was removed from their consoles when they asked for a refund. It's like, yeah, because you were giving you your money back so you don't have the game anymore. Like That's kind of how it works. So uh, I also think it's weird because Blizzard had absolute massive profits this year. They've never been more profitable. Um, but they've also laid off a lot of staff as well. So I think the internal... Mechanisms there are very complex and curious, and you constantly hear about disagreements between the development teams and people striking and protesting certain bits. And you know they're still recovering from the Blitzchung uh, incident, the the Hong Kong Half Stone player who had said famously on stream "Free Hong Kong" and that was cracked down harder um than anything I've seen them ever do. So you know they're trying to really balance these core values that they continually like to remind us of every blizzcon every opportunity they show us that godforsaken statue in the middle of their parking (laughs) lot with the values around the floor i'm tired of seeing it at this point but yeah i think they are having a tougher and tougher time adhering to those core values because i think money now is such a big player
0: i was seeing that during the opening ceremony when they were having that chat about their core values the uh, live chat on YouTube was just spamming free Hong Kong because um, yeah. they still care because Hong Kong still exists and as much as people say like I don't want politics in my game guess what games exist in the real world and the real world has politics. I feel like
1: and economies. General, oh,
0: <laughs> I feel like in general that kind of contributed to like
2: the the sort of um, fe- I don't want to say fear, but I guess um, what's the word? Anxiousness about this BlizzCon, because the only stuff that we've heard from Blizzard has been that high-profile and, like, very negatively charged news. So we got almost no updates on what was going on, even from the development side. So it was kind of a surprise to see, oh, Overwatch 2 looks, you know, almost done at this point. And that was, like, a major thing that I kind of took away, was that when you don't have a lot of, like, we don't have, there's not a lot of news about you and what gets famous is negative that's going to dominate the perception
1: that's blizzard's uh like the the second edge to the double edged sword of them kind of keeping their cards close to their chest so sometimes a game studio will announce a game with a title card a decade before it comes out and try to talk a lot about it for years and then it it becomes, you know, cyberpunk or something. And that has its own troubles. But then sometimes, like Blizzard, they won't talk about the game or show a lot until it's almost done. Uh, and that has its own troubles. Because sometimes they won't... I, I, I don't know. There, there's always going to be that balance. I'll always remember Blizzard's famous cancelled game, Titan, because it was only talked about because they were, like, hiring for it. And they never, ever showed anything, and then it died and I'm so curious if it would have been better or worse if they had shown stuff, probably way worse. And I, like they don't, Blizzard never does like release dates. I think that's like the biggest thing. They almost like way up until the very end. And that's a good thing because obviously in 2020, how many times have we seen games get delayed? It's almost like release dates don't matter anymore at all. And that, so it's great not to have one for that reason. But then also, we're talking about this, like, long gap between Overwatch 1 and 2. It, it's ridiculous that I don't know when Diablo 4 is going to come out. I'm pessimistically saying 2022 or something, or further. I don't know when Overwatch 2 is coming out. I don't know what else they're working on. They have thousands of employees, man. And I know they're working on other stuff. They probably have, like, three more Titans cooking that they're going to, you know, stop or cancel after $100 yeah, million. Dollars. On. <laughs> right? and and I just don't know about any of it and it piques my interest but it mm. it also feels a little like like hopeless and it lets fans dominate the discussion the way Trey's talking about where you can't just talk about you know all these controversies and not get any news except for once a year when they get to very carefully filter what that news is during their BlizzCon
3: <laughs> that's all that can yeah, be said that, that wraps up that <laughs> up, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I hope I hope I may have convinced some of you to hop into Hearthstone, and if not, um, you can you can always friend me on there and and potentially uh, I can guide you through the new expansion, which I forgot to mention is called Forged in the Barrens. <laughs> I <I've> completely <laughs> forgot to mention that the new expansion for people that are familiar with WoW, I'm sure that Forged in the Barrens has a strong meaning for you as far oh, yeah. as an expansion is concerned. I don't know anything about it.
1: The first thing I wondered is if they're going to open up a general chat because you can't actually directly talk to people it would be great if you could just hop into hearthstone and opt in to a general chat and then everyone can just talk toxic shit constantly
3: that's the baron's experience that's the baron's experience yeah the next one is going to be forged in goldshire and that is a very different experience (laughs) yes
0: um well i don't know if there was anything else that you guys wanted to to touch on about uh, blizzard and blizzcon but i feel we've done a, a relatively good job of trying to kind of gather everything into a nice little bundle to be able to deliver it to you all and I appreciate having you guys on to uh to join me and to to talk through that with a little bit of um, some experience and some understanding on it if uh if people wanted to keep that discussion going and and reach uh, and reach you trey where might they reach out i am
2: at trey Game Dev on twitter um when I said modeling simulation design in my beginning I basically teach students how to take the game engine like unity and unreal and make uh, serious games so games that educate simulate or uh train people so the idea is you play a serious
0: game you
1: come out better for it
0: and i post uh, some progress there excellent and what about you
1: angel you can reach me as always on twitter at angel game dev and uh i don't post enough but that's the only place i do so that's where i live
0: and and finally, Oak, if you wanted people to reach out to you as community managers, Spitfire, or just in general, where might they say hello?
3: I mean I was gonna say grinder, but maybe I wouldn't start there. <laughs> um so you can get me on Twitter that's usually the best place to grab me is the Oaken Forest on Twitter uh, but you'll also see me doing some bits with Watchpoint Pride and Watchpoint Oak as well so if you're queer and into Overwatch or you like Overwatch lore then check out those channels as well.
0: Excellent. And I can be reached at tonyrayuk on most things on Instagram and Twitter and also if you want to reach out to the podcast in general we'd love to hear from you if you have questions, complaints, concerns uh you can always reach us at spawncamppodcast at gmail.com, and we appreciate if you go on and give us a rate and review. Ideally five stars, and if you have anything below that, you can always just email us directly, and we can chat about it there. <laughs> but, um, thank you so much for, for hopping into our deep dive into online, and hopefully you've learned something at the end of it, and we will see you all next week. Bye! Bye!
3: Bye! <laughs>